I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Happy Sunday. The sunshine seems to have disappeared here in North London and instead we're having to make do with some cloud and some expected rain a little bit later on. And I've got to say it's dampened my mood a little bit. Um, hopefully Burnley can put that right because they kick off at Spurs in around about an hour's time. Now, by the time most of you watch or listen to this, that game will be done. The result uh, will be known and maybe it will change slightly the way we look at our trip to Newcastle United. Fingers crossed. But we're going to assume for now that Tottenham are going to take all three points because it really does feel like a formality of a fixture for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, if you can't beat a team at home, that are languishing down at that part of the table, then you really don't have uh, much right being in the Champions League. And that can be said of both of us on numerous occasions this season because the inconsistency um, among both sides has been clear to see. Let's say a few hellos because there's plenty of you in the live chat with us at the moment. Uh, big hello to Henry, big hello to JO4, uh, to Matt, to Steve, uh, to Junior Gunner, to Rich, to Maxim, uh, to Martin, to Fadi, to Brad, to Matt, to Mahmoud, to Sasha, to Harvey, to Mitchell. Uh, lots of you in the chat box, as always. Great to see you guys. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. Um, right, let's let's talk about how we're feeling at the moment going into this Newcastle United game because obviously when you lose a North London derby, it's difficult to get over and it's difficult to take. And when you feel like there was an injustice served, and I really, really do, I mean, you look at the challenge that Konate got away with yesterday in the FA Cup final against Chelsea, where he literally did what Cedric did, which was leaned into uh, the player as he was going for the ball, you saw Craig Pawson completely ignore it and wave it away. Um, you know, so when you see stuff like that, it, it actually makes it harder to get over what happened on Thursday because that sense of injustice and that feeling of hurt that we all had coming away from uh, the swamp the other night, it, it's it's one that is, is hard to get over because you know and you feel like we were wronged. And I know a lot of people out there think it was a penalty, Arsenal fans included. And that's fine, but I just want to see consistency. And why I was so upset and disappointed with that decision was that it shows a clear lack of consistency because we see those types of challenges over and over and over again. And we saw one yesterday on a huge stage in the Champions League, uh, I beg your pardon, the FA Cup final, and nothing was done about it. Because the referee, why? applied some common sense. So because we've had a quick turnaround, because we played on Thursday night and we now play on Monday, and I know that it's not as quick a turnaround as Tottenham's, for example, but it's still not long enough for you to kind of process and get over the disappointment of the other night. But that will be and will have been Mikel Arteta's biggest task over the last couple of days. It's about resetting everybody. It's about getting everybody into the right headspace, going into a huge, huge game. Why? Because this is still in our hands. We could still qualify for the Champions League, regardless of what Tottenham Hotspur do, regardless of whether they drop points against Burnley or not, which at the moment for me feels unlikely. So look, let's, um, let's switch our attention to Monday night 
That's what the players have to do. That's what the manager has to do. And whilst many people were critical of Mikel Arteta's pre-match interview, I actually thought that that was the beginning of him resetting Arsenal. Take the blame away from your players. Take the, the damaging confidence that you could potentially get from sort of hanging the players out to dry or pinning the defeat on them. Take all of that away and throw it all at the referee. Throw it all at the officials. That's good management for me. Now, people call it petulant. It's funny how when Mikel Arteta does it, it's petulant. But if Jurgen Klopp or Thomas Tuchel or Antonio Conte, who threatened to resign after his team were poor against Burnley, talk about drama. If the, When those guys do it, it's OK. And it's genius management. But when our guy does it, it's a big, big problem. Also, another little thing I want to have a, a quick moan about um, with relation to the FA Cup final yesterday was... It was the 150th FA Cup final. And as part of the celebrations, the FA invited some heroes from the FA Cup in years gone by to come and stand on the pitch at halftime. Some of whom were former players who were still around, some of whom were relatives of legends that are sadly no longer with us. But I watched it and I looked closely and I rewound it and I tried to see again and I could not see a single Arsenal representative. Arsenal Football Club have won the FA Cup a record 14 times and there wasn't a single person that the FA could have got to come and stand on the pitch at Wembley along with all the others in celebration of the competition's 150th anniversary. It is mad. Absolutely mad. And it just irritated me because Arsenal should be respected in that competition of all competitions. And so to not see any representation there, I thought was um, was disappointing. Also, as well, uh, as Arthur points out, Paul Tierney was the VAR in the game yesterday. Paul Tierney, the man who couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to point to the spot after Cedric's challenge on Son. Paul Tierney, that same guy, yes, was on the VAR duty yesterday and didn't see anything wrong with Konate's push on Ziyech or Konate's lean into Ziyech. Make of that what you will. Make of that what you will. Um, Charles says, F the FA. I think I agree with you. Um, and uh, JO4 says, Harry, there's an agenda against us, even subconsciously from the FA and refs. How better to silence them than getting in the top four? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Look, let's um, let's turn our. I said I was going to do it a few minutes ago, and we got sidetracked as we do on these podcasts. But look, let's um, let's turn our attention to Newcastle United, and it's a weird place to be in with this fixture because it's not one that you go, oh, this is one that we should win. Like it's not. If you want to get in the Champions League, you need to win it. But it's not one of those games that you look at and go, you know, well, this is one that we should go and win comfortably. This is not Norwich away. Um, you know, with all due respect, it just isn't that. This is a very, very strong Newcastle United side who have impressed uh, a lot in recent months, who have improved dramatically under the management of Eddie Howe and having added some recruits to their squad uh, due to their newfound wealth. Uh, fair play to them. You know, they've turned it around. I thought they were going down. I really, really did. And I thought that Eddie Howe was an appointment made with the idea of going down in mind as someone who could potentially bring them back up and would be quite okay with working at that level um, if indeed the unthinkable happened. But you've got to give Eddie Howe a lot of credit because he's managed to turn things around very, very quickly. He's made them much better to watch. He's made them much more offensive. 
um, which may work to our advantage in that they're less likely to play with that frustrating low block that we sometimes come up against and struggle against. So in that sense, maybe that works to our advantage. I don't know. But you have to give Eddie Howe immense credit and you have to give Newcastle immense credit. They're an incredibly passionate fan base, probably one of the most passionate in the country. They'll be there in their numbers. It's their last home game of the season and there'll be a bit of a party atmosphere at St. James's Park. Now, for Arsenal, as I say, this is a must win. For Newcastle, it's not anything. And I wonder what that does to a team like Newcastle, because it can go one of two ways, right? It either, you know, that it either means that without any pressure, you can take the shackles off and you can go out and you can perform to the best of your ability and you can take risks and you can get forward and you can be bold and brave in your approach because there's no longer a need for points. Or it can make it difficult for you to get yourself up for the game. Now, for Arsenal, there should be no lack of motivation. None whatsoever. And if there is, there's something seriously, seriously wrong. Those young players have an opportunity to book their place in the Champions League next season and be going toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder with Europe's elite. Who doesn't want to play in the Champions League? Who doesn't want to play in Europe's premier competition? And they've got a glorious opportunity against a side that are beatable. You know, it's not Liverpool. It's not Chelsea away, even though we beat them, you know, in terms of the calibre of the side. It's not Manchester City away. It's not a trip to Old Trafford when they're firing. You know, it's none of those things. And I found it weird that so many people sort of in the lead up to this Newcastle fixture have been talking about it as though it is one of those games. Now, that comes from people having a lack of trust in Arsenal, I think. It comes from what people saw on Thursday night. But it's really, really funny how the narrative can change because on Wednesday, people would have backed us to go to Newcastle and get a result. But on Friday morning, all of a sudden, we're completely incapable and have no chance whatsoever. Now, I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think there's any guarantee that we win the game, but I do think it is a winnable fixture. And so why should we not be positive and optimistic that the boys can go out there and bounce back after a really, really difficult night on Thursday? Now, I did put a poll in the chat box, which I'd love you guys to vote on asking the question, what's your prediction for Monday night's huge game? Um, So far, 76% of you have voted for an Arsenal win, 12% Newcastle win, and 12% of you have gone with a draw. Um, But yeah, let's... um... Let's see what some of you guys are saying before we uh, before we move on to sort of previewing the game in a little bit more depth. Um, Alistair Ben says we could really do with a Burnley win today. I mean, that would be amazing, but I'm not banking on it, right? The way you got to look at it is let's focus on our job. Let's do our job. Let's get the points that we need. And then it doesn't matter what Tottenham do. If we get a little bit of help, if Tottenham do self-destruct in the way that both of us have shown ourselves to be capable of over the course of the season, then great, happy days. Maybe we can take advantage of that. But let's just focus on Arsenal. Um, Black and Blanco says, struggling to get excited to qualify for a competition. We have no chance of winning. Yeah, but it's, it's a big step in terms of Arsenal getting back to where they need to be. It's a big pull in terms of what it means we can do in the transfer market. It is something that is so important to the status of this football club and something we've been crying out for for years and years and years. There's no reason why we can't have a good run in it. There's no reason why we can't get through the group stage, get a favourable draw in the round of 16. And all of a sudden you're in the last eight of the competition. Stranger things have happened and Arsenal could continue to improve 
And if they can go and have a big summer, an even bigger summer off the back of qualifying for the Champions League, then that improvement and the process, if you like, could be accelerated even further. Martin says, my fear with Newcastle is their massive height advantage. We've got to shut down their crosses, especially if we have a makeshift defensive lineup. John Knott says, don't we have a good record there? We do. And I'm going to come on to that in a bit. So um, so bear with me. Um, Brad Lynch says, this is their last home game and they won't sit and play how Arteta needs them to. I actually think that it suits Arteta for them to come on to us. Because if they do come on to us and we can play around their aggression in the way that we've done so successfully on numerous occasions this season, I think that's better for us than going and playing against a side that sit with a low block. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it could work in our favour. Uh, Scott says, finally catching you live. Normally a podcast man due to the time difference. Lots of love from Melbourne, Australia. And to you, my friend, and to everybody else uh, over in Australia as well. I know the time difference is a pain in the backside, uh, but welcome to the live stream. Good to see you, man. Um, Junior Gunner says the whole of the footballing community will be praying Newcastle take points off us. If the top four is a big motivation, so should silence. So should be silencing all the critics that can't wait to write soft Arsenal bottle it again. Completely agree with you, mate. Completely agree. Uh, Steve Stone says I'm concerned with our centre back situation. Uh, me too, and we're going to come on to that a little bit as well. Um, Fala says, Harry, the club think that we're ahead of schedule, so I think the players have relaxed because the target has been achieved, so both teams have nothing to play for. Don't know about that. Um, Martin also goes on to talk about the, the bonus that is on offer, apparently, to a lot of the players if they do qualify for the Champions League. Look, there's a few questions in there as well, but I'm going to take the questions a little bit later on in the show. We're going to do a dedicated uh, Q&A section. So hold on to those for me um, while we uh, dive into the game a little bit more. And then I'll come back to those, I promise. So hold fire on them and pop them back in the chat in a little bit when I give you guys uh, the prompt. Right, let's, um, let's flick over then to the Premier League's website and let's have a look at the stats and facts around this fixture. Now, when you look at head-to-head -head meetings in the Premier League between these two sides, 53 times Newcastle and Arsenal have met. Now, Arsenal have won 33 of those fixtures, 12 of which were away wins. We've won 21 times at home. Newcastle have only beat us six times at home in the Premier League era, which is Something that maybe we should take a bit of encouragement from, I don't know. It's a, it's a positive stat, it's a positive kind of way of looking at it. But obviously, the history books don't mean an awful lot. I just think it is important to, to look at the context around the fixture, though, uh, as well, going into the match. So if you look at the recent meetings, these are the last, um, the last five meetings between the two clubs. We beat Newcastle at Emirates Stadium on Saturday, 27th of November, by two goals to nil. Prior to that, we met at the end of last season, where we won at Newcastle by two goals to nil. We beat them 3-0 at the Emirates on Monday, the 18th of January, 2021. And that was after a 4-0 victory on Sunday, the 16th of February, 2020. Then when we last travelled to St. James's Park, prior to that, we won by a goal to nil. So not only have we beaten Newcastle the last five times that we've played, we haven't conceded a goal and we've scored 12 goals. Is that 12, 4, 5, 8, 10, 12? Yeah, 
We've scored 12 goals. So when you look at this fixture historically, there is a lot to be optimistic about. There is a lot to be encouraged about. But obviously, things have changed. Newcastle, um, through a lot of that time, have had substandard managers, had Mike Ashley sort of draining the football club, haven't been as proactive and as successful in the transfer market as they've shown themselves to be in the last few months. Um, and so that does change things. But, you know, you think that we're going into this game with a complex. I think the Newcastle fans will have a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to Arsenal as well because of those recent results. As I say, if you compare the form guides, uh, of course, Newcastle have lost their last two, but they were, to be fair to them, uh, trips to Manchester City and the visit of Liverpool. Uh, they conceded six goals in those two games without reply. But prior to that, they'd won their, their three uh, games against Norwich, Palace and Leicester. Arsenal have won four out of their last five. We beat Chelsea, we beat United, we beat West Ham, we beat Leeds and then we were humbled by Spurs uh, just the other night. So kind of similar in terms of the form guide. Uh, season so far, Newcastle sit down in 14th place, Arsenal in fourth. Now, look, I'm not naive enough to think that this is an easy game or that everything that we've seen in the history suggests that we're going to beat Newcastle. So why not? feel confident that that's going to be the case again. But what I would say is this, if you can't beat a team that are in 14th place when you need to, then are you good enough for the Champions League? Are you at that level? Now, I know one-off games don't always determine, um, you know, whether you're a good side or not, whether you're, um, you know, whether you're at the level, whether there's been improvement. Now, I'm a big believer in that, that things can go wrong in a one-off game and that can paint a false picture. But when you look at the two fixtures we've got remaining, Newcastle are in 14th and as it stands, Everton are in 16th. They're not ideal fixtures because we have to go to St. James's Park, but they're not the worst fixtures that we could possibly have. It just so happens that Tottenham have got probably the easiest two fixtures they could have asked for um, going into this weekend, which is a little bit frustrating, but it is what it is. Listen, two winnable games coming up for the Arsenal. And if we win them, we've done it. We've won 21 of our Premier League fixtures this season. Newcastle have won just 11. Uh, they've drawn on 10 occasions. We've drawn uh, just three times. They've lost 15 times. We've lost 12. On average, we score 1.56 goals per match in comparison to their 1.11. Uh, average goals conceded per match. They concede on average 1.69. Now, a lot of that has been prior to Eddie Howe's arrival, which paints a bit of a false picture in that. Uh, in terms of clean sheets, Arsenal have got nearly double 13 to their seven. And Arsenal, according to the Premier League's official statistics, create more chances per game than Newcastle United. So, look, historically, things look to be in our favour. When you look at the, the clashes between the two sides in recent seasons, when you look at how Newcastle's season has gone overall, there's no reason not to feel as though Arsenal can go there and get what they need on the day. But we all know that things have changed at Newcastle and we all know that what happened on Thursday, regardless of what the cause was, will have had an impact in some way, shape or form. And what Arsenal need to do is mentally get it right. Ability-wise, we know they've got it. We know they're at the level where they could potentially um, pull this Newcastle side apart. But the mental side of it is going to be really, really important here. And Mikel Arteta, as I said at the top of the show, his biggest task is to get those people, um, get those players, sorry, back on side and get them thinking in the right way. Um, OK, let's um, let's move on to discuss um, how we think the team 
might look or what I would do uh, is probably a more accurate description of what I'm about to bring to you guys. But how would I line us up against Newcastle, bearing in mind the injury problems and the injury concerns that we have? Well, Aaron Ramsdale is going to start in goal for me. I think he's one of the first names on the team sheet. That's a no-brainer. So he will start there. Now, we listened to Mikel Arteta's comments yesterday about uh, Ben White and Gabriel, their fitness. Will the two be available uh, for this game? And Mikel Arteta was giving nothing away. Now, if I had to hazard a guess, and it is just a guess at this point, right, I would say that Ben White is probably just about going to make it. The fact that he was on the bench um, against Spurs and the fact that he was withheld by Mikel Arteta because of what he felt was going to be the need for him, you know, in this game, I think it suggests to me that Arsenal are doing everything within their power to get Ben White back. Now, we don't know the extent of Gabriel's injury, but if it is what I thought it was, if it is what I thought it looked like, then I don't expect him to be back. I'm sorry. So I'm going to go with White. And I would put, in that case, Tommy Asu at centre-back alongside him. Obviously, Rob Holding suspended, which is a massive pain in the backside for us um, after he was sent off. So I'd go with White and Tommy Asu as the two centre-backs. Tommy Asu has got the height, he's got the physicality, and he's got bags and bags and bags of experience playing at centre-back. So I think that that will probably be the most sensible choice um, at this point. Now, moving into the full-back positions, this is where I'm really worried because our options are so limited. We're going to have to go with Cedric on the right uh, and we're going to have to go with Tavares on the left. Uh, Kieran Tierney's obviously out injured and with the need to use Tomiyasu in a different position, um, this is a big problem for me. Now, some of you are saying in this chat that you think that Ben White might be on the bench. Maybe he is only fit, really, to start on the bench, but we don't have any alternatives. I mean, what is the alternative? There isn't one. And so I think even if he's at 70, 75%, given the fact that Rob Holding will be back for Everton um, and hopefully we can get Gabriel back if the injury that he's sustained is not too serious, I think that Mikel Arteta will take the risk. I mean, this is a must-win game. Will what happens at Spurs between them and Burnley, if it does go in a favourable way for us, Will that impact on Mikel Arteta's decision to rest or to risk certain players? I don't know. Um, We're going to have to wait and see how this all pans out. But this is what, based on what I know today, on Sunday the 15th of May, this is what I would do. So I would go Ramsdale in goal, Cedric at right back, Tavares at left back, Tommy Asu and White. My God, that is a makeshift defence. And that is why it's so important to remain in midfield with Xhaka and Elneny, who hopefully can provide the type of screen uh, for the back line that sees any sort of shortcomings um, sort of dealt with and coped with, fingers crossed. I thought that Elneny struggled a little bit at Spurs and a lot of people sort of came away from that game and went, oh, he's awful. We all knew this was what he's like. We shouldn't have been talking about him in the last couple of weeks. We shouldn't have been giving him praise, etc., etc. But what I would say to that is Mohamed Elneny was given a very, very specific role at Spurs on Thursday night. I spoke about it a little bit in the post-match show. Mohamed Elneny's job on the day was to cut out that passing lane into Harry Kane, the one that Tottenham use so frequently to progress the ball. They look to work it into his feet and off of him, players like Son, Kulisevsky, they make runs. And what Kane likes to do is spin, turn and pick them out with early balls. His passing is incredible. 
And that has been a real key to Spurs' relative success this season. And what Mikel Arteta, I thought, asked Mohamed Oneni to do, based on what I saw of him in the first period, was to try and and worry about that, to control that. It was Gabriel or, you know, Gabriel was sort of tasked with um, coming into Kane from the back with um, with Elneny looking to to block the pass to him. So they were trying to create like this kind of sandwich of Harry, uh, Harry Kane sandwich, basically, between Gabriel and Elneny in order to limit him. If you couldn't stop the ball getting to his feet, you could stop him turning. And that was the plan, to be aggressive, to be on the front foot and to try and stop him doing that. Um, but that is not going to be the case this time, right? So Mohamed Elneny or Granit Xhaka or both can provide an additional screen, hopefully, um, to this backline that is going to be makeshift, whichever way you look at it. Moving further forward, I want to play Bukayo Saka because he's so important to us and he has that capability of winning you a football match, but he just looks dead on his feet at the moment. He really, really does. He was a doubt going into the Spurs game and my word did it show. I thought he looked rusty every time he got the ball. I th thought he looked hesitant at certain points. His decision-making wasn't quite right when he received the ball in defensive areas too, I felt. Maybe that's due to a bit of tiredness because you're not feeling 100%. I don't know. Um, but he would play for me. I'd go with with ESR on the left. I would. I think that him and Tavares as a combination works a little bit better. And I think that uh, he, he should be fresher in theory, given that he only came on as a substitute on Thursday. Martin Odegaard has to play for me. Um, struggled to impact the game the other night, but he wasn't the only one. But he's such an important player to this Arsenal side. And then up top, I'll go with Eddie and Ketia because, again, away from home, I think he's much more effective uh, than an Alexander Lacazette. So that's my team that I would pick based on what we know um, around the fitness and team news at the moment. So Ramsdale in goal, for those of you listening on audio, Cedric at right back, Tavares at left back. I'd go with Tommy Asu and White in the middle of the uh, the defence. Xhaka and Elneny would be my midfield duo with Odegaard playing just ahead of them. ESR will play from the left for me with Saka on the right and Nketiah up top. Difficult because our options are limited. They're really, really limited. But what I would say is like, if we do go to Newcastle and we drop points and, and it does prove to be sort of the, the day that Spurs get the upper hand in the race for the top four, I know what the reaction is going to be. The reaction is going to be, oh my God, we cocked this all up in January. And actually, I don't know that that's accurate. I don't remember a single person in January suggesting that we bring in a defender. And that is where our problems are at the moment. It just goes to show, right? All the focus was on striker, 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 midfield, midfield, midfield. And actually, Elneny's come into the team and done a, a relatively good job. And Ketia has found some form and has improved. Um, and now our problem is in an area that we thought we had less problems, which is in that back line. I mean, you look at that team that I've named, two of the starting back four are there, but one of them is having to play out of position or into a different in a different position to the ones that we prefer to see him in or know that he's more comfortable in, at least for us. So, yeah, it's... It's difficult, isn't it? But it just goes to show, doesn't it? Like during January, it was striker, 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 get a striker in quick. If you don't get a striker in, we're going to mess this up. If you don't get more goals in the team, we're going to mess this up. And actually now our problem is at the complete other end of the pitch, which just goes to show that football is incredibly unpredictable. And um, 
and so it's it's very easy to look at things in hindsight and say um you know we should have done this we should have done that it's you can't predict everything uh a big hello sorry mate i can't read the name but a big hello uh to our friend joining us uh from botswana i hope you're well man um really really appreciate uh, you coming along and joining the stream. Uh, some of you asking if Gabriel's injured. Uh, the update from Mikel Arteta was yesterday that he will know more today, um, but he refused to kind of give away anything further than that. Um, so yeah, looks like there's a there's a chance that that both he and White miss out. But if I'm guessing, I said it at the start of my team selection. If I was to hazard a guess as to who will and won't be available, I think that there's more chance. Ben White plays, then there is Gabriel plays. But let's see. Let's see. Okay, so that's the team I would select in terms of a prediction. I'm going to be positive, man. I I've got to be. I'm going to go for an Arsenal win, a, a narrow win. I'm going to go for a 1-0 to the Arsenal. I think it's going to be backs against the wall stuff. I think we're going to be defending for our lives at the end, and it's going to be incredibly stressful as Arsenal games seem to be at the moment. Uh, but I'm going to be optimistic because I think we should be, as I said at the top of the show, um, this is not an easy fixture by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not one that we have a God-given right to win, but it isn't Anfield. It isn't Manchester City away. It's not an impossible fixture. It's not an unwinnable game against a side who essentially have nothing to play for other than having a bit of a send-off and a bit of a party to celebrate the fact that they escape relegation and the fact that they go into the summer uh, with a lot of excitement again. So, yeah. OK, look, let's take some of your questions now then in the live chat box. Um, some of you popped them in earlier, pop them in again because they've disappeared uh, well up the chat. I'm never going to be able to find them now. So, um, yeah, get me some questions. Get me some thoughts in while you're doing that. I just want to quickly remind you guys uh, of the ongoing auction over with our partners at Football Prizes. There is an incredible prize up for grabs at present, and it is a Arsenal shirt uh, signed by the entire current squad. It's the 2021-22 squad signed Arsenal shirt. Plus, if you enter, there's 11 instant win prizes to win two, which include an Emmanuel Petit signed and custom-framed Arsenal boot, the 1971 squad signed and framed Arsenal montage, an Arsenal home shirt, and, of course, uh, some vouchers along with um, some site credit. Now, there is one day, eight hours and seven minutes remaining on this one at the time of recording. 109 of the 199 tickets have been sold. So if you do want to get involved in this, if you are interested, you need to get over there ASAP because when the tickets sell out, they're gone. It doesn't matter if the deadline um, is yet to come along. Once the tickets are gone, there are no more available. The tickets cost £3.95 and there are 199 of them up for grabs check them out cool all right let's go back over to the chat box and let's see um let's see what we've got here um i'm gonna pick a few at random um harvey says harry was it then a mistake to let many of our defenders go in january i know you can't know who gets injured but we have a small squad i mean when you think about who we let go i mean do you look at any of them and think they would have made a massive difference like now that maybe maybe callum chambers you could argue could come in as a makeshift center half um i know he's played there a lot but i always felt that he was more effective at right back i actually saw him playing for aston villa in a commentary game i did at burnley 
um, last weekend in a defensive midfield role. And I thought he did a decent job there. But I, don't, I, I was never convinced about Callum Chambers. I mean, he, for example, he's not any better than Rob Holding. And you couldn't have envisaged Rob Holding getting sent off. It's not like Rob Holding is someone who regularly gets sent off. And you know that that danger and risk factor is there. Um, people might talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a fullback. Well, the guy simply didn't want to play there and he's gone to Rome and, and, and had a poor time there as well. He hasn't exactly impressed Jose Mourinho and he hasn't pulled up any trees at the Olympico. So it's hard, it's, it's easy to say that in hindsight, but I don't think any of the players that we did let go from a defensive perspective, um, you know, are ones that we're, desperately missing. I mean, Kieran Tierney was the one that you could have looked at and gone, well, there's a good chance that he will be injured for a long period of time. And so we probably need to have some contingency there. And we thought that that contingency was Nuno Tavares. I don't think anybody envisaged when he came back into the side that Nuno Tavares would look as uncomfortable as he has in recent months, given the run that he had in the team earlier in the season, which was largely positive. But other than that, nobody expected this Tommy Asu thing to rumble on the way it has. Obviously, he's back now, but he's going to have to fill in another position. Didn't know that Gabriel was going to pick up an injury. Didn't know that Ben White was going to pick up an injury at the same time. And that, as I say, Rob Holding was going to get sent off. I think it's difficult to stockpile players and to keep players at the club and to keep players happy um, with an absence of European football. And so I understand why Arsenal did it. But also, it's not just about that. It was about clearing the decks ahead of this summer. Now, you've already heard reports that we're about to sign Marquinhos from Sao Paulo. You've already heard reports that Arsenal are, are, are looking to make a move for Gabriel Jesus. You've already heard that Arsenal supposedly have agreed a fee for Bologna's defender Aaron Hickey. So Arsenal seem to be trying to make moves early in the transfer market. Now, that doesn't happen and can't happen if you don't clear the decks ahead of time. So I honestly believe that Arsenal's preparation for the summer began in January when we were letting people go. And whilst we'll be disappointed, and I absolutely will if we don't get Champions League football based on the opportunity that we've had, the club have achieved their objectives and their goals, which in their minds justifies the way they attacked the January window. Um, it justifies the fact that they didn't panic by and it justifies the fact that they didn't go and spend vast amounts of money on players that they weren't sure of just from fear of being left short because fifth was something that they were hoping to achieve. I think they were looking to finish in the top six and they've wrapped up fifth with a couple of games to spare. So actually to then say, whether you agree with this or not, to then say that they've cocked it up to them would feel inaccurate because they set that objective an objective that's been met and they've managed to do that whilst, as I say, getting people off the books, but also clearing the decks ahead of the summer. Amira says, if White isn't fit enough, do you see us going with a back three of Cedric, Tommy and Nuno and bringing in Sambi to pack the midfield for protection? Or is that too defensive? I can't see us going with three centre-backs because we just don't have centre-backs um, available to us. And I don't, I wouldn't personally trust Cedric and Nuno to play as part of a back three. I think they're two players that are better off playing as wing backs, if anything, because they're further away from the goal. Uh, and both of them are actually not too bad when going forward, as opposed to what they look like defensively. So I wouldn't do that personally, but you never know with Mikel Arteta. You never know what he's going to um, going to produce. Um, Russ Morgan says, if we do finish fifth, can you still see us getting the majority of the players we have identified? I can. Yeah, um, I think that 
the plans have been in place for a long, long time. It's now about execution. And I think when you're looking at some of those players, you know, that we know are targets like Marquinhos, I don't think whether we're in Europe or not makes, or whether in the, we're in the Champions League or not, I beg your pardon, makes that much difference. Because I do probably think, thinking about it yesterday, that Marquinhos probably could be sent out on loan. Um, when I think about Gabriel Jesus, I think he would be okay to come to Arsenal as long as he still felt that the project was moving in the right direction. And I believe he does. Perhaps that Champions League qualification is is what's holding things back in the sense of, you know, maybe that will be the kind of tipping point for him, the tipping factor. I don't know. But I do think we'll still be able to get most of the players that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, Highbury Arsenal says, hi, Harry, I was at the game and saw Gabriel. He wasn't limping. So make of that what you will. And Ben White should be available tomorrow, I think. Thursday was to protect him, to be honest. Mate, I was there too. And and and, I, and you're right. He didn't leave the pitch as someone who'd picked up this horrible injury. And I wonder if he kind of just said, look, I've, I've felt a, a slight tinge here, um, a slight twinge, and, and I'm worried about this. And, and Arsenal just took the decision very quickly to get him off. And, and you know that Mikel Arteta would have been in that mindset, right? Because he decided not to use Ben White because of that, because he felt that the situation we were in meant that we couldn't really turn this game around. And so actually taking that risk might well have ended up being counterproductive. So there's a good chance, you're right, that he was taken off for protection more than anything. Fingers crossed that is the case. Because if Gabriel and White play at centre-back, even at 75 80%, I think we're a much better side for it. Um, I think those two complement each other brilliantly. You've got one who's a bit more aggressive, who plays on the front foot from a defensive point of view in terms of sort of going to confront people. You've got one who drops off a little bit more, has, in my opinion, a better reading and understanding of where the ball's going to land, but then also has a greater ability to progress it as well. So I think they're a good combo. Uh, Awake Sunshine says, what about using one of the under-23s defenders? Now that... Um, that was put to Mikel Arteta in an interview that he did yesterday. And he said that the young players who have been in and around the first team who have almost joined in with, with stuff and, and sort of been kind of promoted, if you like, in that sense, of those options, none of them are centre-backs, they're full-backs. And so that concerned him a little bit. So I, I'd be very surprised if he was to do something like that. Uh, Said Abdullah says, Kieran Tierney is featured in just 57% of the Premier League games. Arsenal have played since he signed it. Do you consider selling him this summer? It's a big bloody problem. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't matter how much you love Kieran Tierney, you have to be realistic and pragmatic about how often he's injured and the, the detrimental effect that that has on the team. Now, we thought earlier in the season that in Nuno, we'd identified someone and brought someone to the club who was capable of deputising, but also was on the path of development himself. And it hasn't gone as we'd have hoped and as we'd have liked. But um, I don't know that you'd sell Kieran Tierney, but I think you've you got to take more steps to to protect ourselves against him being unavailable. And I think for me, the fact that we're after Aaron Hickey is probably a telltale sign of the fact that Arsenal have recognised that themselves as well. Uh, Sasha says, what are our Newcastle strengths and matchups we need to be worried about in relation to the team we'd likely put out? Who better protects Nuno, um, ESR or Gabby if Shaka has to play centre-back? That's an option that I think um, Mikel might consider as well if we are really desperate for centre-backs. But again, just like the Brighton game, for me, it takes away too much from our midfield. 
And I, I don't really want to see that happen. Um, the, the players that we need to be worried about, well, there's a number of Newcastle players. You know, I don't really know the team news on Newcastle, um, but obviously there's there's a number of players that we've got to be wary about. Um, will Bruno Gimaraish play? Um, he'll feel that he has something to prove because I don't, I don't believe that Arsenal actually were in for him. Um, it was all paper talk. I think if Arsenal really wanted him or felt that he was worth what Leon were asking, that deal would have been done. There's no way he'd have chosen a relegation scrap over uh, the potential of playing in the Champions League with Arsenal. So, um, yeah, let's see. Um, but there's him. There's there's people like Saint Maximan if he's available. Um, there's a lot of players. Even Joe Linton has kind of like been a a new. Um, or, or been handed, it seems, a new lease of life at Newcastle. So they've got players that we should be wary of, but we've got players they should be wary of too. You know, and if our players perform, the Sackers, the Smith Rose, the Odegaards, we could potentially pull this Newcastle side apart. Um, I'm going to pick up a couple more of your questions. Selgeia um, says, which is easier to play against, a team already relegated? Or a team already safe. I tell you what, given that there's half an hour until Spurs kick off against Burnley, I am not going to answer this question from fear of uh, jinxing. <laughs> not going to answer it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's take um, a couple more bits and pieces uh, from you guys in the chat. Uh, Stefan says, what are your thoughts regarding our recruitment team? Do you have faith top four or not? Oh, I think that you've got to, I think that you've got to give them trust on the basis that I thought last summer, most of the business they done was excellent. You could argue now that the Lokonga deal was one that we maybe paid a little bit too much for just based on the minutes he's had and the impact he's had when he's been given them. You know, I think we can all agree that he's got talent. I mean, I think he's brilliant on the ball. I think he, um, you know, swans about the pitch beautifully. I think he's very technically gifted. I just think that earlier in the season, he got caught in possession a couple of times, just wasn't adapting quick enough necessarily to the Premier League and the fact that you don't get the time and space that you were getting in Belgium. Um, so I, I don't I don't want to write the Lokonga signing off because I think he's still got ability. But I don't think he's hit the level that he threatened to hit at the start of the season that made us all go, oh, wow, this is a, this is a player. I think Arsenal internally would have known exactly what Lokonga's level is and would have expected very little. But I think just because he gave us a bit of a glimpse, the kind of expectation level around him went up. Um, other than that, Nuno Tavares, you could say, is a questionable sign-in. But again, the risk was um, not too great. And so I think it was about £8 million. And so I think overall, you have to say they did good business. You know, Ramsdale's been good business. White's been good business. Tommy Asu has been superb business. Odegaard on a permanent overall this season has been a very good signing as well. So, um, yeah, I think on the basis of the fact that they got so much right last summer, I think you have to be trusting and give them the benefit of the doubt going into this one as well. OK, look, I'm going to take one more um, because I am a little bit pushed for time. We've been going for the best part of 45 minutes as well. We're going to, uh, I'm going to sit down and watch that Spurs-Burnley game, at least until Spurs score anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to tell you guys. Just a, a quick one um, as well, because um, I am away next week um, from Tuesday morning until Friday. 
I am going to be away. I am traveling for work. I am off to 90 Min's uh, Barcelona Summit, which is going to be really, really um, enjoyable, hopefully. And I'm looking forward to it very, very much. I'm looking forward to um, some uninterrupted nights of sleep without my kids. Uh, and I'm looking forward to some sunshine and some warm weather as well. So um, just to let you guys know, I will be getting content out daily, um, but it's probably going to be pre-recorded stuff because I don't know exactly what my days are going to look like just yet. And I'm not sure that I'll have a spare hour to sit down and do a stream at any point. Plus hotel Wi-Fi is always a little bit ropey as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pre-record uh, some bits and pieces um, based on what's new, based on what's hot, based on what's not um, as we build up towards the end of the season. But also um as we um as we keep across all the transfer stuff as well so reaction to the newcastle game will come straight after the game live on the channel and then from then onwards it's going to be pre-records i'd imagine um, unless i do get an opportunity to do a live i don't know but at this moment i can't promise it so i'm going to get you some bits and pieces out that are going to be pre-records there'll be a slightly shorter form as well because there won't be that live interaction section um, but I will keep delivering content, I promise, uh, throughout that week. But I will be away, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to put things in the diary and stick to them and bring you guys the live streams uh, that we interact on regularly. Uh, a big thank you uh, to Saeed Abdullah for your very, very kind donation to the channel, mate. Honestly, it helps so much. And I thank you so much for your continued support, mate. All the best. Uh, hope you are well. OK, going to leave it there. I will catch you all. Um, when will I catch you? I'll catch you tomorrow. Um, we'll do some bits tomorrow, and of course, we'll have that post match reaction stuff from the Newcastle United game, which I am dreading. I'll catch you all uh, a little bit later on. Hopefully, Burnley can do us a favor, but I won't count on it. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.